Amen. Amen. Let's get up for Melody. Come on. So good. Do we have any first timers in the room? See a lot of new faces. First timers. Come on, let's just welcome them. Thank you for being here. Hopefully we didn't freak you out. Um, that happens often, but we're so glad you guys are here. Amazing. Well, uh, I want to have a quick update for you guys before we jump in. Uh, so we, a week ago, uh, my wife just gave birth to our beautiful son. There he is. This is our second baby boy. His name is Elion. Elion Jude, which means Lord Most High. Um, he's going to have one of those names where the rest of his life, people are like, how do you pronounce that? So that's, you know, it's the cost of a cool name. But uh, we're so, so, uh, so excited. Thank you, everyone, um, for the support. We've had so many people bring us meals, taking care of us, loving on us, taking care of my wife. And uh, my wife isn't here, obviously, because she's resting, and she's really sad to not be here, so send her all the love. Uh, but we just want to thank you guys for all of the support. And I just wanted to show off how cute my baby was. So there you go. You're welcome. Awesome. Well, let's pray. Let's jump into the word. Man, today's going to be a good day. Anyone feel that? This is going to be a really good day. That's so good. So, Father, thank you so much. Do what you do best. And would you come and would you move? Would you transform hearts? And I pray that you give us ears to hear what you're saying. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know what every single person in this room needs. Pray that you plant seeds in this room that would grow oaks of righteousness that would bear many, many fruit. We open our ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start here in Genesis 2.7. Genesis 2.7, it says this, God formed man out of the dirt. God formed man out of the dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, a living soul. So this verse speaks of the creation of the first man. God grabbing dirt, a messy, void, colorless substance. But by the power of Yahweh's breath, he turned that dirt into a holy, beautiful, intricate being, and he created man. And this process of creating the first man was the same process he took to make us into a new creation. That Jesus went into the ground he made us from, raising from the dead, to breathe life into us once again by his spirit. This is who we celebrate today. This is quote. It says that the greatest event in human history has already happened. You guys believe that? The greatest event in human history has already happened. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all of our working, our living, and breathing, listen to this, is either a grateful response or a tragic neglect of the singular source of life. Well, that just hit you. That your life is either on two courses. You're living in light of his resurrection or you're living in light of your death. (laughs) 
that we're either living as if this Jesus is still in the grave or he's actually presently alive and accessible. Because here's the thing, guys. You can hear people say, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. Grew up in Sunday school, Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. We sing it, we sing it, we sing it. And you can acknowledge it in your mind, but actually never transform your heart. So you're either living your life in light of the resurrection of Jesus, or you're still walking and following a Jesus that you think is still dead. And you may not think this way. You may not be operating like, okay, theologically I believe Jesus is still in the dead. But look at the way that we respond to him. And we, we joke here at, at Breakthrough, when we, when we gather, this isn't like a memorial service for someone who died 3,000 years ago. This is a celebration of someone who's living. And this is why understanding the resurrection is key. Let's go here in John 11, 25 to 26. If you guys have your Bibles, open up John 11, 25 to 26. And it says this. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Well, Jesus is asking us the same question today. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Because here's the thing that that the resurrection isn't just something Jesus did, it's something that he is. Jesus didn't just resurrect from the dead, he is the resurrection. So what that means is that anything that is dead that comes into contact with him becomes alive. Anything that is broken that comes into contact with him will be mended back. Anything that is sick that comes into contact with him will get healed. Bless him, Lord. That he is the resurrection and the life. And here's the thing. You can look around and see the condition of the world. You can very easily see how things are going. But if you just look at the world, it seems like there's no meaning. It's just death, darkness, and sorrow where nothing holds significance. Nothing is connected but in the resurrection, I want you to hear this, but in the resurrection of Jesus, everything becomes illuminated. The meaning, the purpose, the goal of everything that happens to us and how to make life count can only be learned through the way, the truth, and the life. That because of the resurrection, we can have hope that because he lives, nothing is wasted. I need you to hear this. Because he lives, nothing in your life could be wasted. This is how powerful Jesus is. I, you know, I had this thought. It almost seems like elementary, but then when you actually think about it, it's like, whoa. That Jesus, the weakest part of him, which is being dead, is so much stronger than anything else. Jesus is so powerful that being dead is still stronger than anything else. Any sickness, any sorrow, any demon, any disease, that's how powerful this Jesus is. 
And in him, everything can find its purpose. Your divorce can find its purpose in him. Your pain, your rejection, your sin, every tear shed. Because here's the thing, guys, that the promise of salvation isn't that he puts a spiritual blanket over your problems for you to ignore. It's not how this works. But salvation guarantees that he takes the messiness, the dirt of your life, and he redeems it, and he breathes life into it again. Think about that. That this is the good news of Easter Sunday. I love this quote that says, without the resurrection, nothing has been conquered. Without it. Not sin, not death, not the devil. Right? This is why we're sweating this morning while we're worshiping. Right? Because we believe this. That without the resurrection, nothing has been conquered. Not sin, not death, not the devil. The resurrection means the death of Jesus was enough, enough to atone for sin, enough to reconcile us to God, and enough to make us holy in his presence. And so, the cross purchased our salvation. You guys believe that? The cross purchased our salvation. A salvation that gives us freedom from shame. A salvation that gives us forgiveness towards your abuser. A forgiveness that gives us lasting peace over an anxious heart. This salvation that gives us healing over your body. A salvation that gives us right standing with God. A salvation that promises us an eternity with him. So I want to take you on a journey really quick because I, I want you to understand the weight of the resurrection. My, my heart and goal today is that this thing, for a lot of us, maybe you've grown up your whole life hearing about, knowing about, thinking about, that it would go from here and pierce here. So I want you to see this illustration that, that the cross... I want you to picture this, that the cross is as if Jesus paid a high price to buy you a house. Stick with me. On the cross, Jesus paid a very high price to buy you this house. It's a really nice house, billion-dollar house, 50 acres, four-car garage, 12 bedrooms. LeBron used to live in it. Really nice house. How would that feel? That was your house. It's pretty nice, yeah? Tell everyone about it. Invite everyone over. But on the cross, Jesus bought you this really nice house that you could never afford, that you didn't deserve, and that you could never earn. Now, imagine that house being yours, but there's no way inside of it. You own it. Legally, it's yours. You can brag about it yet you can never actually experience the benefit of that house. You just tracking with me? So the cross bought you the house, but the resurrection is the door. Jesus says this in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so because of the resurrection, we can actually experience what the cross purchased. 
And so going back to my original statement, we're either living in light of the resurrection or living in a tragic neglect of it. Because here's the thing, there's a lot of Christians in this room. And there's a lot of people wrestling with Jesus. Is he actually who he says he is? Can he actually save me and help me? Can he actually transform my life? Can he actually set me free? I've been struggling with this for years and years and years, and it just won't stop. Is he who he actually says he is? Is he actually as strong as he says, as my pastor says, as this book says he is? And here's the thing, guys. If we are only living before the cross, we're missing out after the resurrection. What happens is we're living in this relationship with God that is, I, I, I need to keep dying to myself. Just part, it's part. But who knows that what Jesus purchased for you was not to daily have to figure out how to die, but it's how to figure out how to live. This is what the resurrection life says is, hey, hey, on the cross, you died with Christ. And as he rose, you rose with him. This was the, the, the great transaction that happened on the cross. And so now the journey of Christianity is learning how to live, not learning how to die. And it's only through the door that we can experience that. Ephesians 2.13 says this, but now in Christ, you who were once far away, shut out if you speak far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we understand that our sins separate us from God. We were severed from our source of life and belonging. And we understand that God hates sin, but I want you to hear this. It's not just because he has preferences. It's because he hates what destroys you. God's holy, he has preferences. But he doesn't just hate sin because it's just whatever he wants goes. He hates sin because it destroys you, because it distorts you, because it distorts him. And who knows, without him, there's no way in the house. <laughs> without the resurrection truth, there's no way in the house. That you were always made to eat from the tree of life. This is why God put on flesh. Jesus came in our place to pay the debt that created eternal separation and to bring us near once again. So by his blood, we understand that we have been brought near. Listen, the cross brought you near, but the resurrection gave you access. The cross gave you proximity, but because of the resurrection, you can now experience intimacy with God. So I want to say this, that the gift of the resurrection is his presence. It's him. I love in Psalm 63, verse 3, David says this. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Can we just read that out together, church? Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Isn't that beautiful? So in context, David is saying this. Well, he's stranded in the wilderness, thirsty, away from his family, 
yet he can proclaim about God that you are better than life itself. And because of it, I will praise you. He's not complaining about his situation. <laughs> He's not complaining, God, what, why, why does this situation suck? You said you're good. Why, why am I in this situation? That's living before the cross. So a side caveat, Bill Johnson, he says this thing that if God inhabits the praises of his people, who do we think inhabits our complaining? That was for free. You're welcome. But I want you to see this because what does it take to live in that place? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm stranded. I'm thirsty. I have nothing. I'm separated from my family. I'm alone. And it's not just, just being in a good state of mind. We're actually called higher to that. And David says, <laughs> Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. The resurrection lets us live from this reality that no matter what I am near and have access to the lover of my soul, my source of comfort, my freedom from bondage, my peace and my satisfaction. And I believe that we've been sold a gospel that says he paid for your sins yet is completely void of resurrection life. That we believed a gospel that acknowledges he bought the house and we've been given this really amazing gift but we won't be able to experience it until we die. Anyone? Just me? And I, I want to say this, that this is an incomplete gospel. It's one that preaches the cross without the resurrection. Friend, Jesus didn't die for you to stay dead. Jesus didn't die for you to stay suffering. doesn't mean you won't go through trials. It's promised. But there is an internal world that the resurrection takes us from. That we're not living as victims anymore. We're living as more than conquerors. You can't just do that in your own effort. You can't do that by just making a lot of money. You can't do that by having the dream family. You can't do that by accomplishing some, some tier of, of social status. You can only do that through this one person is Jesus. The Romans 6.5, it says this, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That you are united in his resurrection. Look to your neighbor and say that. You are united in his resurrection. All right, look at your other neighbor and say, you are united in his resurrection. There you go. I think it's very, very important to note that there is a reason Jesus resurrected in a physical body. 
could have resurrected in a spiritual body that was just floating around, touch him and just kind of go through him, you know what I'm saying? It's like a ghost or something. But Jesus resurrected in a physical body. He rose with scars still in his hands. He rose with scars still in his side. And I believe that it shows us that resurrection life is for here and now. Ah, some of you didn't get that. This is good. It shows us that this resurrection life isn't for when we die, which it continues, by the way. It doesn't start then. It starts now. Because eternity is him, to know him. But that this resurrection life is meant to be experienced and lived here and now. Otherwise, he wouldn't have scars. Because even in your scars, you can experience resurrection. Even in your wounds, nothing's wasted. Even in your mess, I can redeem it. And I don't sweep it on a rug to dis- for it to disappear, but I actually use it to make something even more powerful and beautiful and whole. That's the beauty of the resurrection. And I, I, I just believe that there's people in this room right now who are doubting who are on the edge of throwing in the towel, who are unsure if following Jesus is even worth it anymore. And I want to tell you today, the good news of Easter is that there is more. (laughs) There is more. Death isn't the end. Your suffering isn't wasted. He longs for you to know him, for you to experience his touch to know that he is alive and that you can know him intimately with no more separation. I'm going to ask you this question. What would a relationship with God be like if you actually believed you lived as if there was no dividing walls between you two? Think about your relationship with God right now. Maybe some of us are already living in that way, and that's awesome. But some of us who are not, picture your relationship with Jesus. What would your relationship look like if there was no dividing walls? That when you, when you didn't read your Bible for your, you know, 60 month, 60 day, there's not 60 months, 60 day reading plan, you're like, oh, I missed day 49, and you feel shame. That's a wall. <laughs> Simple as that is. That when you mess up, and you feel separated, God's saying, hey, you don't need to wash yourself. I'm the shower. Come to me. What would your relationship with God look like if there was no dividing walls? That your suffering doesn't actually separate you. <laughs> He's the son of suffering. He empathizes in our suffering because he experienced every temptation, yet was without sin. What would your relationship look like? And I want to tell you today, that's what he purchased. That the temple veil was torn in half when Jesus died on the cross. That the veil separated our access to his presence. And we see the temple, that there was a veil and the ark was there. So God, they believe God's presence was tangible. When he died, it literally, even historically we know this, from non-Christian sources, that the veil actually torn in half in that moment. And this is 
symbolic to the truth that now access is fully granted to those who believe in him. J.K. Chesterton, he's a theologian, he's a writer, he was originally an atheist, a really well-known atheist and philosopher. And when he became a Christian, it was like this big thing, right? Think of like the most atheistic person today, like Neil Tyson, that guy, right? Imagine if he became a born-again believer, right? This is how huge this was. And a reporter asked him this question. I love this. They said, sir, I understand that you recently became a, a, a Christian. May I ask you one question? If the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this very moment and stood behind you, what would you do? And he looked him in the eyes and he said, he is. He is. What would it look like to live as if there's no more separation? I'm going to read Matthew 28, the story leading into or of Jesus' resurrection. Matthew 28, let's go, go there. I'm going to wrap up. Can we get keys? It says this, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. I love this. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. I want you to take a mental note right here, verse six. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. But when we encounter the resurrection, the response is to quickly tell others. And he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples, the angels, message. And verse 9 says this. And as they went, Jesus met them. Say, Jesus met them. And greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. I'm going to end on this that there is a difference between hearing about the resurrection, what they did from the angel. They heard the resurrection. They heard the news about the resurrection. This is my desire this morning, is that you wouldn't just hear the news about the resurrection, but that you would actually meet the person who is the resurrection. 
you would come into contact with a person who actually does redeem things, who actually does restore things, that actually takes your mess and brings life back into it, that you would come into contact with a real person, that all amount of your striving to try to be right with God would fall at the wayside when you see him and he says to you and he reveals, hey, I'm real. I'm real. I'm so much more real than you've ever thought. The cross was for you. The cross was to bridge the, gra- the gap between us, the gap of separation. And my resurrection now says, walk with me. Enter in, experience this life, this new life, this new creation reality where sin is no longer your default, but righteousness is. That he who knew no sin became your sin on the cross. So we would become the righteousness of God. I want you to see this. This is important. You say, well, how did Jesus take my sin? How did Jesus take my sin on the cross? If he was holy, he was blameless, his mind never even went anywhere near sin. How did this perfect, spotless lamb of God take my sin? This is it. He received it. So how can me, who's messed up time after time, who made mistakes day after day, that is living in complete unrighteousness, that feels like a failure, that feels incomplete, that doesn't feel enough, that never feels like I can belong anywhere. How can I become right with God? The same way you receive it. So this is the invitation this morning, guys. Walk in the door. It's awesome to brag about the house. Look what Jesus did. Look at the cross. When he's saying, hey, there's more. There's more to who I am. There's more of me I'm inviting you to live in. There's actually freedom. That for there to be a resurrection, something has to die. Did you hear this? For there to be a resurrection, for something to be raised back from the dead, something actually has to die. So today, that might have to be your pride. That may have to be your need for comfort. That may have to be your need to understand what's going to happen tomorrow. Can I read to you a moment in scripture that's so profound? That when Jesus was on the cross, he was hung next to two sinners. Think about this. God who breathed and mountains formed was brutally humiliated and hung and equated on the same level as criminals. And he says that I I didn't, I was, my life was never taken. My life was given up. Jesus at any moment could have commanded angels and stopped it. He could have said, I don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. 
It says there was a joy set before him that allowed him to do the cross. And who knows, you are the joy. You are the joy set before him that says, I'm waiting for my children to know the fullness of who God actually is. To return back to the garden, to eat from the tree of life. But in Luke 23, it says this. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews, this is Jesus hanging on the cross. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But this is interesting. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Think about that. That we are punished justly. We should be punished justly for we're getting what we deserve, which is eternal separation. But Jesus stood in our place. He hung where we were supposed to hang. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said this to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, Today, say today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You might say, well, for me to give my life to Jesus, well, I, I got to figure some things out. I, I got to sort some things out. I, I got to, you know, I got to change some things. I got to clean myself up. I got to, you know, just make sure, just, just maybe a little bit more, then I'll make a decision. Guys, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. That salvation we see here, sometimes it's a process. But sometimes it takes a moment of turning and saying, Jesus, you are Lord. I choose you today. I respond and I give you my life. So I just want to pray. The worship team can come up. And I want to give an opportunity to respond. Like I said before, there are people in this room that I know are struggling, are doubting, are on the edge of giving up, are on the edge of throwing in the towel. And I want to extend to you what Jesus has been trying to extend to you every moment, which is to come. That's it. Pastor, what do I have to do? Come. What do I have to figure out? Just come. Just respond, just say yes, and he'll sort it out with you. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we just pray right now in this room that salvation will sweep in every corner of this room. That people would come into contact with the resurrected one. Lord, even people who have been following, for, following you for decades, that today... He would realize, wait, there's actually more. This isn't about a feeling or emotion or stirring up something. This is about coming into contact with a person that saved your life. 
But he didn't only just save your life for you to wait to heaven to experience life. He saves your life and invites you now to experience the fullness of the resurrection life. And so, Lord, we just pray right now, would you just stir hearts in the room to respond to the invitation to follow you? To say, I will forsake my life and take up yours. That if you don't want your life anymore, give it to someone who does. If you're ready to throw in the towel, give your life to someone who wants to walk with you and keep you and hold you. So with every eyes closed, I just want to give an opportunity. If you want to say, today, I'm ready to give Jesus my yes. Today, I'm saying, I will follow you. Even though I don't understand everything, I give you my yes. Would you just raise your hand and pray for you? Maybe you've been walking with Jesus, and today is the day that you, you, you're ready to fully say yes, to rededicate your life. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Lord, we just pray right now that every heart will be touched by your presence, by your resurrection life. And we just declare that today is the day of salvation. Capture hearts for yourself.